We have been talking about the brokenness of the church in Corinth. If you haven't been to church, that's where we've been. We've been talking about the, our own uh, broken cross at the top of our uh, broken steeple as an illustration uh, of uh, brokenness in the life of the church. And, of course, there was more broken at the church at Corinth than their broken steeple. You know, some days ago, we were finally able to begin the process of repairing what was broken. You might notice the steeple is not out there anymore. Do you know that there was not a single person here in this church who could do anything about our broken steeple? There was not one person who could climb to the top of that steeple and fix our broken cross. It required a powerful piece of equipment to come and take that cross off the top of the bell tower and, and that steeple and set it down, it was something we would never be able to do on our own. And so when Paul wrote to the broken church at Corinth, he not only took time to address their brokenness, but to tell them about the only power that could mend their brokenness. This morning, we're still in the book of 1 Corinthians, but we want to begin talking about the Holy Spirit, and we want to explore, begin exploring the work of the Holy Spirit. That power that could mend their brokenness was the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. And I remind you, and perhaps you need to know today, it requires great power to address great brokenness. You might find brokenness exists in your life today. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is the only one who can address that brokenness in and around your life. But in order for them to yield up their lives and their church to the working of the Holy Spirit, what Paul sought to do was to reintroduce them to who the Holy Spirit was and what the Holy Spirit could do. Now, it doesn't surprise me at all, and I didn't plan it, it doesn't surprise me at all that the removal of our steeple and the changing of direction in the sermon series on the, in the book of 1 Corinthians coincide. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about exploring and experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who've been here on Wednesday night, I've been telling you that soon the Wednesday night messages and the Sunday morning messages were going to intersect, and they do today, because on Wednesday night, we've been talking about the single greatest need in the life of the early church. The single greatest need in the life of the early church was for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That remains, whether you know it or not, the single greatest need in the life of the church today. The early church needed the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and so do we. And should we ever come to church and we sense an absence of the Spirit's prevailing presence and power, we ought to call off everything we do and we ought to cry out for a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit on our lives. Now, one of the things that you need to know is that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost to provide, number one, the power to live, because you can't live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only the power to live, but the power to love, the power to lead, and it was the power to be leaned on by the church to accomplish the mission that God 
had given the church. The greatest danger in the life of an individual or of a church is to attribute to the Holy Spirit a leading or an inclination that comes somewhere other than from God. So the first thing I want to remind you of today is that not every spiritual leading comes from God. You might have a sense uh, of something that needs to be done or even a little chill that goes up the back of your neck and say, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me, telling me this is what God wants me to do. Not every spiritual leading comes from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that's where we are today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Paul makes that clear. He said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. It was not the Holy Spirit that led them to idols because there are spiritual leadings that come from places other than God. He said, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says there is a spirit at work right now in the sons of disobedience. It leads them to be disobedient. It leads them to false gods and false teachings. It leads, but it leads in directions other than God leads, and it's a spiritual leading. And so know that not every spiritual leading comes from God. So what's important today is to help you recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go step by step through some things in Scripture that may help you understand a little better his working. How do you recognize the work of the Holy Spirit? Number one, you need to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person and not a power or a possession. The Holy Spirit didn't just appear suddenly in the New Testament in the second chapter of the book of Acts. If you open your Bible, you will see that the Holy Spirit appears for the first time in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis when the Spirit of God at creation was brooding or moving over the waters. The Holy Spirit is God at work in the world. The Holy Spirit is the influence of God among his people. He is the voice of God that speaks to his people. He is the guiding presence of God directing his people. He is the enabling of God helping his people to do what they could never do on their own without his presence and power. And we have seen this on Wednesday nights, clearly in the book of Acts. We saw how in the church, in the book of Acts, the Spirit spoke, the Spirit sent, the Spirit appointed, the Spirit permitted, and it sometimes did not permit. And they clearly recognized the leadership and the lordship of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, it's clear that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. You may never have heard that before, but if you haven't, it's simply because you haven't read your Bible. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, Peter said the prophets in the Old Testament, when they were writing and they were prophesying of the grace that would come, 
They made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. In other words, the prophets in the Old Testament wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit was the Spirit of Christ inspiring the Word of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, follow this carefully, he said, Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with un and all we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, we call the Bible the Word of God, but it's clear that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. I hope you understand that. We look at a passage of Scripture. Uh, uh, we, we looked at that passage from 1 Peter where Peter clearly said the Spirit of Christ within the Old Testament prophets was directing them to write Scripture. And at the same time, Peter, Paul could say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Holy Spirit is our only source of insight into the mind and heart of God. Now, if you're, there you go. You finally caught up to me. The Holy Spirit is our only insight into the mind and heart of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, there are two rules that govern the Holy Spirit's activity, and I use the word govern to help us recognize what the Spirit will do and what the Spirit won't do. So number one, the first rule is there are some things the Holy Spirit will never do. You look at first. Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. In verse 3, Paul said the Holy Spirit will never lead anyone to say Jesus is accursed. The Holy Spirit will never diminish the deity of Christ. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the word of God of which he is the author. You may say, well, I had this feeling or I had this inclination or I felt like the God, that God wanted me, I felt this little chill run up my spine, and I felt that was the right thing to do. If it con contradicts the Word of God, it is not from the Spirit of God, it is a spirit from somewhere else. The Holy Spirit will never contradict His Word. He will never violate His nature by how He speaks or how He works. And in Romans 1.4, Paul said, The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of holiness. Now, I want to remind you that just as every spiritual leading is not from God, but all scripture is inspired of God, not all sermons are inspired of God, not all speakers are inspired of God, and not all books are inspired of God, but this book is. Any leading that is contrary to God's word 
is not God's will and is and is does not come from the Holy Spirit. So we talked about what the Holy Spirit will never do. The second rule is what the Holy Spirit will always do. He will always speak the truth about Jesus. Jesus said he will speak of me in the 16th chapter of John and he will glorify me. He will always speak the truth about Jesus. He will, as Jesus said, he said when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of righteousness he will convict the world of sin, and he will bring a foreboding sense of the judgment to come. He will also lead individuals to a genuine surrender to Christ as Lord. Did you say at some time, Jesus is Lord? Have you ever surrendered your heart and life to Jesus as Lord? If you did so, you did so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will always be consistent with the word of God of which he's the author. And Romans chapter 12 verse 4, we need to look at those verses 4 through 6. Paul said, and I want you to notice, we're going to talk about the consistency of the Holy Spirit, the consistency of God's leadership. There's no distinction. You can say, well, God said to me, but the Spirit said, no, that's not going to happen. The Spirit is not going to speak differently from God. The Spirit is not going to speak differently from Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Paul reveals the consistency of the Holy Spirit. There is no separation or distinction between the activity of God. Now, how does this apply to the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, here's something that's very important, and you need to understand that, and you need to remember this. The fingerprints and footprints of the Holy Spirit will always look just like the fingerprints and footprints of God. The fingerprints and footprints of the Holy Spirit will always look just like the fingerprints and footprints of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the things that are true about God will be true about the Holy Spirit. The things that are true about Jesus will be true about the Holy Spirit. So what do we know about God? We know that God is omnipotent. He can do anything. He can move a steeple off a church without a crane. We can't do that. There's, he's all-powerful. There's nothing that God can't do. Not only is he omnipotent, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows all of my secrets. He knows your secrets. He knows my deepest hurts. He knows your deepest hurts, your deepest fears, my deepest fears. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. You can't go anywhere and get away from God. And God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. These things we know to be true about God according to the scripture. What do we know to be true about the Lord Jesus Christ? We know he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There is nothing that he can't do. We saw that in the New Testament. He could cast out demons. He could heal those who were sick. He could raise the dead. No one of us can do those things. Jesus could do them. We also know that Jesus is omniscient. 
Take the woman at the well, for instance. He knew that she had five husbands, had had. He knew that the man that she was living with now was not her husband. And when she went back to the men in the village, she said, here is a man who told me everything I ever did. He knew everything. Not only is he omniscient, he's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere you can be. Because Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I am with you always. And he is unchanging. The Bible says of the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those are the footprints and fingerprints of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What about the footprints and fingerprints of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is omnipotent. There is nothing that He can't do. He is the mighty power of God coming upon men, working in the lives of men, raising the dead, doing great things. He is omniscient. He knows all things. The Spirit searches the hearts. He knows all things. He is omnipresent. He is always with you. How do we know that? David said in Psalm 139, he said, where can I go from your Spirit? And the Holy Spirit is unchanging. We see that in, in the Bible. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now let's talk about the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament to show you these things. First, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament gifted men for service. In the book of Exodus, way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 35, when they were building the tabernacle before the Holy of Holies was ever put before the Ark of the Covenant was ever put in the Holy of Holies, when they were designing the tabernacle, God said, Exodus 35, verse 30, The Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship, and he was gifted to make the articles that went in the tabernacle by the Spirit of God. Second, the Holy Spirit enabled men for special ministry. When Moses led in the Old Testament, he led by the leadership of the Holy Spirit in Numbers chapter 11, verse 17. When Moses got too burdened with leadership, the Lord said, I will come down and speak with you and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you and I will put him upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came for a time. He didn't always come to stay in a person's life, but he seemed to come for a time to, like in Samson's life, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him mightily, and Samson was enabled to do great things. But also in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was an agent of transformation. Samuel said to Saul, he said, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you will be changed into another man. And so it was in his life. But we also see in the Old Testament that the Spirit could be removed from the life of a man. And he was removed from Saul's life, and an evil spirit tormented him. In writing Psalms, David acknowledged in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 4, that the words that he wrote were inspired by the Spirit of God at work in his life. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, the Holy Spirit gave life to dry bones, bringing life to their deadness. 
and strength to their weakness. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel chapter 36 looked forward to a greater outpouring when the Holy Spirit would come into the lives of God's people and enable them to live lives that were pleasing to God. I will put my spirit within you, God said, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. That's what the Holy Spirit looked like in the Old Testament. But what does he look like in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, we find that he governed and guided and gifted the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. Jesus acknowledged that it was only the Holy Spirit that could give life. He said that in John 6, 63. He said, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And in Acts, we saw clearly how God guides, governs, and gifts the church that walks under his leadership. But the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is also the agent of transformation. In Romans 8, chapter 11, Paul said, But if the Spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. And that doesn't mean life in the future. It means life right now. And then when Paul wrote to Corinth and he talked to them about the evils that were in their community, he said, in, in your community, he said, they're, they're drunkards and they're, 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 they're adulterers and they're homosexuals and they're all these people. And he said, you know none of them were going to he- are going to heaven. And he said, but such some of you were. You were just like that. And you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the Spirit in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. The Spirit was an agent of transformation and is a mark of salvation. Paul said, God has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Him. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came to stay. Didn't come and go away, came to stay. And is the great fulfillment of that promise in Acts and Ezekiel chapter 36 when the Lord said, I'll put my spirit within you and enable you to live a life you weren't able to live before. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and filled the church. Now I want to ask you a question. Some of you probably follow more so than others all sorts of things that happen and movements in the church today and sometimes you'll see people say this church has the Holy Spirit these people have the Holy Spirit they're experiencing violent shaking they're falling down sometimes somebody led by the Spirit will punch somebody there was even a well-known pastor in recent years filled with a spirit of drunkenness and kicked people in the face and knock their teeth out under the leadership, quote, of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, what kind of spirit in the New Testament caused violent shaking, threw people down, punched people, cut people, hurt people, caused drunkenness? It was always an evil and unclean spirit. The Holy Spirit will always look just like the footprints 
and fingerprints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me remind you, it takes great power to address great brokenness. We couldn't fix our steeple. We had to have help. There's some things in the church that we can't fix. We're going to have to have help. There's some things in our lives we can't fix. We're going to have to have help. Only the Holy Spirit can break the chains and shackles of the unclean spirits that sometimes get a hold of us and cause us to act in ways we shouldn't act and do things that we shouldn't do. I believe today the Lord would have you experience the work of His Holy Spirit in your life. And I pray that there would be more and more of that in our church, that we would experience, as the New Testament did, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.